This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is June 30th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Kyle Cohen, and I was at Hofstra Radio roughly 1986 or 87 till about 1992, I think. Um, I was... um, I was I was older than the others than most of the students. I had already taken my community my um, broadcasting degree at University of Massachusetts in Amherst, Massachusetts, in 1976, and I was going through a divorce. I had two young children, and I was taking a graduate course in photography, and one of the other students was uh, involved in WRHU, and I asked her if she would show me the studios um, just out of interest in how their studio was set up, and little did I know I would become involved with the radio station, and I met the summertime program director, and he asked me whether I knew whether I knew anything about classic rock. And I said, I think I know a little bit about it. Um, He had no idea that I was already in my 30s and had lived through classic rock. Hmm. So he put me on the air and I proceeded to do classic rock and jazz and new age music and I met some great people, and I'm still very close to Judy Vianney. Hmm. While you were at Hofstra Radio, do you remember the names of any of the shows? You mentioned a rock show and a jazz show. Do you remember the names of any of the other programs you worked on? Um, I don't. I don't remember the names of them. I mean, it was, I think Classic Rock was simply called Classic Rock. And um, I think the jazz show was called just jazz and new age was, I think, simply new age, new age images. And that was a new genre for me. And I think it was something that was new on the air in most stations because it was something that was um, just coming out there. And um, it was a was wonderful, relaxing music. And there were a lot of artists who had probably been around for years, but I was just discovering them as my audience was discovering them. And I really liked the music and it was, um, it was new, it was exciting. And um, most, most of all, it allowed me to de-stress. I, I was listening to it on the station and at home. While you were at Hofstra Radio, did you have any titles or positions of management? No, no. And I didn't I didn't look for one either. While you were on the air, did you have any nicknames or on-air names, or did you just go with your own name? I just went with my own name. Okay. Um, so this is a two-part question that you can answer however it makes sense to you. Um but what was it that first brought you to the station? I'm always curious what brings people to Hofstra Radio. And if you can remember what it was like when you got there, maybe people that you met 
or uh, the way that the station or the studios looked? What was it like when you first got to Hofstra Radio? Well, I had always loved radio, um, you know, from the time that my mother bought us our first transistor radios and we would fall asleep with the transistor under the pillow, listening to the AM stations uh, out of New York City with the transistor tucked under our pillows um, on the New Jersey shore, specifically uh, Deal, New Jersey, which is next to Asbury Park. Um, and then then when FM radio came about, listening to um, the FM stations, falling asleep to them, waking up to them. And I thought, wow, that would be such a cool job to be on the radio. Hmm. And the only female announcer I remember, remember was Allison Steele. And I always thought it was cool that they had a woman on the radio and that she also recited poetry. Um, and then fast forward to college and I was still listening to FM stations. And then I uh, ended up at the University of Massachusetts and talking to one of the radio announcers on the phone after he did a news story and said, oh, who cares about that? And I ended up meeting him in the campus center. And he said, you know, you have a good voice. You should come down to the radio station. And I did. And I ended up doing news and thought about going into broadcasting as a career and got married instead. I, I, I should have gone into radio <laughs> instead of getting married. <laughs> and I gravitated toward radio and worked in continuity at a radio and TV station and followed my husband's career and ended up on Long Island for his career and took a, a graduate course in photography at Hofstra. And one of the students in the class was taking the course at an undergraduate level. And she said something about being at the radio station, or maybe she had a photograph at the radio station. And I asked her, if she would show me the studios. And I wandered down there and I went, how do you get to be on the air here? And I guess she must have entered. I don't recall. Her name was Paige. I don't remember the last name. Oh, she went by Paige Allen. And um, I got introduced to, I think the guy's name was Will, and I don't recall his last name, and I'm really sorry. Um, he asked me what I knew about classic rock, and I said, oh, I think I know a little bit about it. Um, he didn't realize that I was already in my 30s and had two small children. So he let me do um, a classic rock show. And... Um, from there, I went on to also do uh, Just Jazz and New Age Images, and I did as much radio as I could around my children and around working, and then I left Long Island at the very end of 1993 with Judy B&A seeing me off and FedExing me bagels to my Massachusetts location just in case they didn't have any good bagels. And when I moved, um, I'm now living in Florida, and when I moved back to Florida just about a month ago, Judy picked me up at the airport. Wow. So we've uh, main, maintained an on-again, you know, on off-again correspondence. And um, she's, she's just dynamite. She, you know, she's a, one person I've been really happy to stay in touch with on and off again for years and years and years. And she's just as charming now as she was back then. So glad to know her. 
Yeah, when one thinks of Judy V in a charming, sweet, and and someone who would FedEx you bagels. Yes, that's that's a friend. Yes, yeah, (laughs) and and the night that I landed, she also got on the computer and went to Amazon and ordered me a whole bunch of stuff because my stuff hadn't arrived from California. Oh gosh. Oh yeah. What a sweetheart. She Um, is. So when you first arrived uh, with Paige uh, from that graduate class, from the photography class, uh, if, if I can pinpoint it correctly in time, the radio station, the studio, and the office were both in the basement of Memorial Hall. Does that sound right? It does sound right. And were you taking a course over the summer or was this during the, the regular spring or fall semester? It was, um, I believe it was the spring semester. Um, and it was, um, I think it was spring semester. And I remember it was with Lillian Ryer and it was a photography course. Um, I was the only student who was in it at the mass at the master's level. I figured I would work on a master's degree and it was actually about teaching mm. had to do with teaching. And, um, I was, had always been smitten with photography and I then went on to take, um, another photography course the following semester, um, at the undergraduate level. Cause it was the only one that was, that was offered. And it was with, um, you, um, Hugh Rogers, who was just fantastic. And I continued working at the radio station. And then I didn't take any other courses, but I continued working at the radio station until I moved to Massachusetts at the end of 1993. So you, um, when you first got down to the station and, and you said, uh, the one person asked you if you knew anything about classic rock. So, so basically they're, they're, they're getting you signed up to be on the air. Was there anything in the way of training or, uh, for engineering or for announcing, was there anything that you had to do before getting on the air? Um, not really. I think I probably had to show that I could do it, but I was, um, I was old hat at that. I had already had all of my training and I, had my FCC third class license, which I don't even know if you needed it at that point. Um, but I had done that, um, back in, um, 1975, um, in Boston, uh, when I was studying in Amherst. Um, and, um, you know, I also did a little bit of news and, um, I could have taught, all of the news people had to do news because I was so adept at it. Uh, in fact, I remember one time um, I had my kids with me because I didn't have a sitter and they were in the news in the news studio and they were climbing up the acoustic wall while I was on the air. And I had to keep my cool with my microphone open and announce whatever I was announcing while they were climbing up the wall. They, they got punished. Hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's something that they're not going to teach you in an announcing class. That's just, that's just a mom skill that you have to have at the ready, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely not take your kids to work day. I had my two plus, um, a neighbor's kid and, uh, they, they definitely wrote me a, a I'm sorry note. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, I mean, what could be more fun than hanging out in a college radio basement reading the news? I mean, don't these kids know what fun is? Uh, yeah. My son, <laughs> my son briefly went into college radio when he was in college. And I was like, oh, no, you're going to go on the five-year plan like most kids who do college radio. But, you know, I... Um, I wasn't on the five-year plan and neither was he. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you get this opportunity to be on the air at Hofstra radio and, and, and you'd already had some experience in radio. Can you talk about getting on the air the first time in, in either situation or what it felt like, if you don't remember the specific instance, what it felt like opening up the mic or sitting behind the board or something that happened as you're getting, uh, used to being on the radio. Well, the very first time that I was on the air, and this goes back to University of Massachusetts, I was fine. Didn't make any mistakes at all. And then the guy that I was going out with told me about all these people who had listened to me and other people told me, oh, I heard you. You were great. And I was like, oh, my God, people are listening to me. And then I got nervous. Oh, no. <laughs> but... Um, I, you know, people, people listened to me and they liked me and it was, uh, it was so much fun. Um, and, and I thought I, I really could do this. And then I thought about how depressing the news was. And I thought, I, I don't think I could do news as a career. And then I had the, um, I had the occasion a few years ago to be interviewed by NPR's Ina Jaffe in Los Angeles. And as she was interviewing me uh, for a story about um, senior citizens and, um, you know, living on the poverty level and, and what they're doing and stuff, I just looked at her and I said, I should be on the other side of the microphone. I could be doing what you're doing. That was what I was supposed to be doing. Mm. And it was kind of, it was really strange. It was like, you know, if, if I had taken the other road, that's what I would be doing. Um, but it was like, it was always, to me, it was always so much fun. But I was always, always intimidated by the equipment, always fearful that I was going to push the wrong button. And there were always, there's at the time that I was at Hofstra, that was when we first started introducing music on CDs and the way the CD players were set up. If you were spinning a record and then you had to go to CD, I was just, just tall enough that my reach could handle it. If I had been an inch shorter, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Mm. And I kept talking to John Caracciola, the, the chief engineer, and saying, you've got to do something about this. This is really hard. And he thought it was funny. <laughs> as, I, as I seem to recall, I don't, I don't think much, much changed in that, uh, in that physical space. Because you, you have the board with the, with the slider pots. Mm -hmm. And then on either side of the board was a turntable. And then uh, to the right of the board, there was that rack that had the transmitter about halfway up and then a couple of spots uh, for the CD players. And I think there was a double cassette deck. I seem to recall I think, that being there. I think so. 
but so so you're saying so to access those those CD players, it was a little it was a bit of a uh, a tough reach for you. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I I think I think many of us were uh, at times grateful that that both or either one was was working at the time. We we did get some hand me down equipment uh, that that didn't always work out, but right. Um, yeah. Did you did you ever have an instance of of hitting the needle or record or 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 making that mistake that you were so fearful of? I probably did. I I know that there was one instance where Jeff Krause called me and said, "Your microphone is still on," but I don't think I was afraid of Jeff. Um, you know, I think a lot of the students were afraid of Jeff, but I wasn't. You know, I mean, what could Jeff do to me? Take me off the air? You know, um, but he was, he was a neat guy. You know, he was, he is what made that station possible. Do you remember yeah. meeting him for the first time or, or being around him as you were getting settled at Hofstra? Um, I don't remember meeting him for the first time, but it was just kind of like, hey, how are you? You know, it was no big deal. So, um, you know, at the time, um, I was, uh, fairly close to Jim Vazios and, um, I think in Jeff's eyes, Jim could do no wrong. He was, you know, he was a real character. And I think that, um, if you could pull something off, Jim could always pull something off and he and he and, uh, Jeff were pretty close. I think Jim was a real prankster and Jeff let him get away with it. Hmm. That is one thing that people talk about. There's, there's, you mentioned earlier that sort of intimidating presence for a lot of students, but also that he had, that Jeff had a very dry and somewhat wicked sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was like, I, I, I don't think anything really bothered me. I mean, Jeff was, he was a human being. He put his pants on, you know, one leg at a time, like most people, you know. Hmm. He was just there to give direction and to make sure people didn't really screw up and break any laws. And he was, you know, first and foremost, he was there to teach. Hmm. Do you remember, did he give you any good advice or other than, than the microphone thing? Did he give you any sense of, uh, you know, you're doing this well, or maybe try this? Did it, did you get a lot no. of interaction with him? No, I didn't have a lot of interaction with him. Okay. I was mostly there. Um, I don't actually, I don't know what time frame I was there, but I didn't have a lot of interaction with him. Okay. Um, you've mentioned a number of names, um, or for people that you knew at the station, were, who were some other people or some other names that were helpful, uh, either when you were first getting settled or as you were trying out, like, uh, you were saying the new age show, who were maybe some people that were involved with that, that you recall? Um, I don't remember, um, all that were involved in the different shows, but I remember, um, Vic Bilsick was very helpful and very nice. And, um, Tony Sibilla was just an absolute doll and, mm -hmm. and maybe my biggest fan. And I just, he still 
in my eyes, the sweetest, nicest guy. And I know there are friends of his out there who say, oh, he's not that sweet, but I think he is. <laughs> um, and, um, oh goodness, I can't, I can't remember them all. Um, well, well, two of the names that you've mentioned, Judy VNA and Tony Sibilla, do have well-earned reputations as being very nice and very generous people. So, so it seems like you're you're hanging out with the right people, at least at some level. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I I would say that everybody there was helpful. You know, if they could do something to help you out, you know, fill in for you. Um, teach you something, get you something, they were there for you, you know. Um, you know, uh, there were times like um, like John Caracciolo, would, I'd call him and I knew he was coming into the station and I'd say, would you do me a favor, pick me up a cup of coffee? And in fact, Judy and I were just discussing this. I took a real estate course on... Uh, buying a co-op or a condo with John. And then, and the, and I was relating to Judy because when I took the course, I was wearing a uh, black and white Buffalo check flannel shirt from the gap. And John and I went out for pizza at uh, Pizzeria Uno afterwards. And I matched the tablecloths. <laughs> I was gonna say, I, I, I'm pretty sure I can. I, I'm pretty sure I know that that shirt. That was a it was a popular uh, pattern and style. Yeah. Uh, at the time, it yeah. sounds like you got you got pretty comfortable at Hofstra Radio right away on a social level as well as being on air. Is that right, or did it take some time to to get to to know the folks and and the way the culture worked? Um. Yeah, I mean, I was I was very comfortable. I mean, it, I guess I must have started in the summer, and. Uh, that's a, a, which is interesting because when I started at um, WMUA at UMass Amherst, I started, I started in the summer too. And that's a great time to ease your way in because there are fewer people to get to know and you, you know, you get used to them and then more people come in. So you, you know, you, it's, you're not bombarded with people all at once. And um, it just, it just, I eased my way in that way and I wasn't taking anything away from anybody. I was just adding to the mix. And I, you know, I don't think that I took spots away from full-time students or anything. I, if somebody else needed a spot, I would gladly give it up to them because that mm. wasn't, you know, that wasn't my concentration. That was just something I did on the side. And of course, when I went back to work um, because I had to, um, you know, I was less and less at the radio station. It sounds like you picked up, uh, you, you said you had knowledge of, of rock music and classic rock as it, as it was starting to be called at the time, but did you have any background with jazz music or, 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 and you were saying new age music was, was relatively new to you. How, how long did it take you to get comfortable with the, with the other formats? Well, I was comfortable with jazz because, um, WMUA had um, a jazz show that was very well done. They still have it. Um, and so I got, uh, from listening to my 
uh, the music that my father listened to. And from listening to those shows, um, I got, uh, you know, I got a good education in jazz and, um, you know, new age from listening to what was on the radio and what was on WRHU. Um, you know, I got a good education in that and just, you know, trial by fire. Um, and, you know, and I would have to say that, you know, even though I never really did a classical show, I also learned classical music from listening to what I heard on the radio. Um, you know, it's basically, it's the same with any music. Mostly I get my education from the radio, Hmm. you know, and I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of public radio, whether it's college station or a national public radio station. Hmm. Um, obviously yours, yours is a, um, a unique story. Uh, and, and you come, came to Hofstra radio, uh, from a slightly different angle. I, I like to wrap up with this question because usually I'm asking this of people who started at the station fresh out of high school or as a, as a transfer. Um, but you came at it a little bit differently, but I'm going to ask this anyway and see if you can, if you can, how you, uh, uh, take an angle on this. But when you first came to Hofstra radio, what did you hope it would be for you? Um, I hoped that it would be a respite for all the stress in my life. As I said, I was going through um, a divorce and um, it gave me um, a time where I was filled with activity that had nothing to do with my life. You know, it was the focus was not on me. The focus was on entertaining. The focus on was, I was very clearly focused on exactly what I was doing at the moment, not thinking outside of the studio. Hmm. And it was good. It must've been fun because it seems like you, you stuck around and, and tried a lot of things and had a good time with it. I did. And I, I actually did some professional radio here and there along the way, but um, not enough to pay the bills. Hmm. That is, that is the story of radio, isn't it? It is. Hmm. It is. Um, Kyle, these stories were, were really uh, lovely to hear. And, and I thank you so much for sharing your time and your stories. I have more questions and I'm, I'm going to, Hope that you have more stories and maybe we can do this again sometime. Oh, that'll be fun. Thank you for doing this project. I think it's really wonderful. And I hope everybody enjoys it.